So when I was in college, I pledged a fraternity. Now, I, I don't really know early on what I was thinking. It wasn't something I had aspirations for. I never, I never like in my high school days, looked at college and like, oh, I want to be part of Greek life. That's the thing that really drives me. You, know, you see different movies and stuff like that, heard different people being in fraternities, and it looked like a whole lot of fun, but it was something that I never, ever personally thought I would do. But then when I was in my freshman year at Howard Payne, there is a rush night. And so all the different Greek organizations put on this kind of like carnival fair type thing at the, on the basketball courts at the school. And a bunch of my friends were like, hey, we're going to go pledge. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And they're like, oh, it's it like, it'll be good. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, uh, follow the crowd. Okay. And so I went in and I signed up with some friends that I'd been making to pledge a fraternity called Phi Kappa Chi. Now, this is not Baylor Phi Kappa Chi. This is Howard Payne Phi Kappa Chi. Uh, and so there's a very big difference between the two different organizations. Uh, if you know the difference between Baylor and Howard Payne, uh, you can kind of guess the difference. Baylor, nice, big university, Howard Payne, 1,000 students enrolled in the, on campus. And so uh, Greek life at Howard Payne is a little bit different than Greek life at the major universities. Regardless, as I went into the pledge this, I found myself asking the question consistently, why, why am I doing this? Like it's, it's six weeks of commitment that it's, you, you kind of thought about at, at the beginning. It's like, oh, okay, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll meet new people, those types of things. But you're in the middle of the different pledge assignments, the things that you're like, why? Like nobody in their right mind on a normal day wakes up and says, oh, okay, I'm going to go do those things. Uh, you don't do that. And yet through those six weeks, found myself time after time doing things that if I was in my right mind, I would say, I, I don't know if I would take that challenge on. Like, do I really, do I really need to carry that cutout letter of our organization two miles uphill? Like, is it really worth it to do that? It's, it's 1130 at night. I could be working on homework. Why am I running through Brownwood right now, hiding from flashlights? Like, what, what is that about? Now, there were things, there were things that were a lot of fun. I mean, certainly, in that pledge process, it was incredible. But one of the things when I got to the tail end of the pledge process, and I didn't even realize at the end of that, but look back years on later, some of my closest friends were my brothers who I pledged with. You see, there's just something special about going through adversity together. When we go through adversity, when we go through trials, even if they're fabricated, even if they're artificial, see, I didn't have to do those things, and yet we committed to doing those challenges together. Even going through fabricated artificial trials, there's something that brings us close together. And so a few years later when I got married, the majority of my wedding party were actually guys, not just for my fraternity, but guys for my pledge class. The guys who I went through those trials with, that adversity brought us close together. Now, personally, I've always been drawn to be a part of things bigger than myself. I, I love being a part of, of organizations, of, of teams that and so all growing up, I was a part of team sports. There, team sports is a huge part of my life. Not, not just because I love athletic competition, but I love the locker room. I love the dugout. I love the idea of sitting next to people that I'm going to battle with. Uh, it's, just, it's just fun. It's, it's fun to have, have your teammates back week in and week out. Love that aspect of life. I was a part of band. When I jumped into band in middle school, I didn't know it would be so important to me. And I remember as a middle school student in eighth grade, I'd somehow been elected as the band president. Um, I had no aspirations of that either. There's a lot of things in my life that I have aspirations for, but I found myself wandering into. So that's maybe a theme that I need to explore. But regardless, 
I found myself as the band president. It was time to give quotes for the yearbook. And so I got asked, hey, why are you in band? And expecting this inspirational thing about music, I responded of my friends on the trips. No, no, you like, but like music and stuff like that. I was like, no, no, I'm not in band for the music. I'm in band because of my friends and the trips we go on. Like, well, that's not very inspiring, but it's true. Like, that's why I did it. And I loved being a part of it. And so that translated all the way into high school and I got to be a part of band as well. And so I had 180 to 240 people, depending on what time of year we're in, that I went to battle with. And we worked hard together and it brought us close together. Even... Even in my work life, I like being a part of a team. Like there are times where I need to get away. Like, so if you come up here during the week sometimes and you go to the seventh grade room or something like that, you may find me in there. And one of the reasons I'm in there is because I just need some time and some space to get away and think. And so my office is actually right next to the office kitchen. And so one of the things in church world that's so fun is that people are nice and they, they talk to you. The hard part is when you're right by the kitchen, everyone is nice and everyone talks to you. And so I'm in there, I'm like reading the Bible or whatever, praying or even counseling individually. And it's like, oh, hey, Michael, how are things going? I'm like, man, like, I just need to get away. And so, and so I come up, rain or shine, air conditioning or not, heat or not, and, I, and I'll kind of camp out if I need some time away. But for me, that's the exception. That's not the rule. What I love about working on this staff is that this is a team that wants to work together. And so when we have issues at staff, we're going to tackle those issues together. There's just something about going through things together that builds a bond that is so incredible. Now, we've probably all experienced the benefits of being a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, if you've, if you've seen a team and you've, you've seen that injury that should have derailed that season, and that whole team rallies around that individual. And while that person may not be on the field, emotionally that person's okay. Because the team rallies and says, even if you can't be on the field with us, you will still be a part. We've seen that. Maybe we've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe we've been on the, the end where we've kind of dished out that grace and that kindness. For others, we've been a part of the band, and it's like, hey, uh, I, I don't know if you've, you've been a part of high school marching band or your kids have been a part of it, but there are some, there are some really tough times for that. Because just like any competition, there, is, there are people vying for spots. Not everyone who signs up gets to actually participate. And so one of the coolest things that you can see is when a kid who goes freshman year and just doesn't make it, but sophomore year, they're trying and trying and trying, and they finally get told that they've achieved a spot like on the field. It's incredible. And so as a section, if you're a trumpet player, you rally around the trumpet players, and you just cheer on that new person who was able to step into that new role. And you celebrate. With people. And even, even as coworkers, you know, you have those seasons of life where it's just so crazy, it's so busy, you've been hit with so much different adversity when it comes to the task at hand that you're like, I'm just drowning in work. Like, there's nothing I can do. Even if I were to work 80 hours this week, there is no way that I could accomplish everything that I need to accomplish. And you have coworkers that rally around you and say, okay, number one, that doesn't have to be done, that doesn't have to be done, that doesn't have to be done. Number two, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. And you experience what it means for people to carry your burden. And through that adversity, that, those challenges, you grow closer together. In times of adversity, in times of adversity, we need each other. Now, here's a really incredible thing. More than a team, more than a band, and more than even in the office, God has created something. He's created an organization that should always be there for each other. 
Now, this is the, the part of, if we were at a Sunday school class, like I would ask the question, what do you think God created to make sure that people are always together? And then we would say, Jesus, because the answer in Sunday school is always Jesus. No, 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 it's the, the church. The church. God created the church so that there would be people who are always there for each other because in times of adversity, we always need others. Now, today we're going to open up 1 John 3, 16. 1 John 3, 16, and we'll go through 18. And we read this. I want you to think through the lens of what a gift it would be, what a gift it would be, if this is what we experienced on a daily basis. How, how great would it be if this is what marked our experience as part of local church? 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, this was actually the theme verse for our fraternity. And so if you were to look at our shirts from that era, you would see 1 John 3.16 written in on the majority of our shirts. And so one of the things that carried throughout the entire pledge process was the fact that we were called to sacrifice for our brothers. In this case, our fraternity brothers, but what, what John's writing about here in the local church, he says that in the same way that you Jesus laid down his life for you, and some of them actually saw that. That's one of the things we have to realize is that some of these were firsthand witnesses of the death of Jesus. And he says, so in the way that you saw Jesus give up his life for you, give up your life for the brothers. Be willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of those around you. Because Jesus loved us so much, we must in turn love others. Now what's so cool about this passage, and one of the things that really fires me up, is the fact that John didn't give a lesser demand of his followers, of the followers of Jesus. He didn't say, okay, in the same way that Jesus gave up his life, be partially committed to the brothers. And if it's convenient, help them out. He says, no, 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 it's a one for one. Like we imitate Jesus. And in our imitation, we are called to the links that Jesus went to. I think there, there are things in life where, where we're ready. We're ready for those challenges. But for some reason, the leaders ahead of us just don't give us that challenge. They want to short sell us. They want to say, oh, okay, okay, I just don't want to ask too much of you. Like, because if I ask too much of you, then you might quit or whatever. And John looks at the followers of Jesus who, who some of them will give up their life for Christ and say, hey, listen, I'm not going to shortchange you. I'm not going to short sell it. It's going to be demanding. In the same way that Jesus gave up his life for you, give up your life. Be willing, at least, to give up your life for your brothers. So anything less than this pales in comparison. Like any, anything less than our lives is kind of a minor request. And so those should be incredibly easy. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You see, John uses this incredibly clear example that people would relate with on a daily basis. He says, look, there are times where your brothers will be in need. And if you are to love them in the way that Jesus loved you, you'll meet that need. As far as it's possible by you to meet that need, you'll meet that need. And if you don't, like if, if you're like, I, I just don't want to give right now. I don't, I don't want to take care of that. 
I, honestly, they should have known better. Like, if you don't meet that need, then the, the question, and it's got a, an implied answer, but the question, how does God's love abide in him? Like, the implied answer, it doesn't. Like, like the model is that Jesus gave up his life, and so we should give up our lives. And so something as minor and as trivial as money, like that should be easy. And he goes on, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's not just talk about loving one another. Let's put it to action. I go back to the question, wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be great if this is what defined us as a Christian community? Wouldn't it be incredible that if anybody who was a part of this organization, First Baptist Georgetown, or any local church knew that the people around them that they worshiped with on Sunday morning would meet any need that they had if they could? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we walked into this place and we felt the love of Jesus because we felt the love of others day in and day out? So here's the truth. When life goes wrong, God gives us each other. When life goes wrong, God gives us each other. And we know this, life will go wrong. Like it's guaranteed. Like there are people in this room now like that life is going wrong. In, in the hallway, down, down the hall with our teenagers, I guarantee you there are families there where life is going wrong and they feel it and they know it. It keeps them awake at night, and it's what, it's what fills their brain during the day. Life is going wrong. And so for some people, it could be financial. Whether it's the result of poor decision-making or just circumstances beyond their control, there are some people right now in this room, down that hall, in this congregation, who are asking the question, how am I going to pay that bill next week? And they're currently prioritizing. Something has to go. I can't make it all work. Something has to go. What's it going to be? Life has gone wrong for some people just this week financially, and they're struggling. Others, it could be, it could be relational. Whether, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a parent-child relationship, whether it's within a marriage, there are some people in this room, down that hall, in this congregation, who are worried that that relationship will never be the same. They project out a year from now, asking the question, Will we even still speak to one another? They don't know. Some people have had terrible luck this past week in their relationship. For others, life is going wrong physically. Now here's, here's the thing on this one. Like we, we know sometimes when life is going wrong physically for people, and other times it's a complete mystery. Like we never even see it. And so there are people who come into this place on a weekly basis in this room, down that hall, on this campus, where life is going wrong physically. And they're like, I, I don't even know if that person who I love or even myself are going to be able to do what I would be able to do a year from now. There's concern. And there's questions. Right now is going wrong. And for others, it may be spiritual. Maybe the financial or the relational or the physical aspects of life have so many issues 
it compounded so much that there are people in this room, there are people down that hall, there are people on this campus who are asking the question, does God even care? Because trials have come, there's the question, does God even care? Life will go wrong. It will. And for some of us in here, life is going wrong right now. But praise be to God that in our difficulty, in the midst of adversity, in the midst of pain, God has given us an incredible gift. Not just the love of his son, not just the sacrifice that he paid on the cross, not just salvation that promises hope and redemption out there in the future, but he has given us the church. He has given us Christian brothers and sisters who have been called on. I have been called on. You have been called on to lay down your life for your brothers. What a blessing. What a gift. When life goes wrong, God gives us each other. So I want to challenge you this week. I want to challenge you to wrestle with two different questions. Because I think one of the things in life that we have to realize is that the the call that we receive in in Scripture, the call that we receive as as Christ followers are typically not optional. And what I mean by that is it's it's not one of those that where Jesus kind of throws out these things out there and says, okay, Christian, if if you feel like it, I encourage you to. Like if it's convenient for you, then you should think about, it's like, no, no, no. Every time I read scripture, I feel Christ convicting my heart saying, no, 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 that's you, Michael, right now. That's you. So Michael, who are you laying your life down for right now? What needs are you meeting? And so the first question I just want you to wrestle with, I am wrestling with is who has God laid on your heart this week? Who has God laid on my heart this week? If he hasn't yet, if even in this time here, you haven't, like the Spirit hasn't laid somebody on your heart who is experiencing a relational or spiritual or physical or financial need, like if, if the Lord hasn't put somebody on your heart, I just encourage you to pray. Pray that during the course of today, during the course of this, the Lord would, would pl- place somebody on your heart. And so it, it may come in the form of an actual request to your face. There may be people that actually walk down to the first floor of E3 this morning on your way out to wherever you're going and somebody actually makes a request of you who has a need. You may experience that. Or it may just come in the form of the Spirit's prodding on your heart. Either way, every time a need comes our way, we get to decide what we do about it. We always have that choice. And so the question that that I would want to follow it up with is, what story do I want to be a part of? to really just sit there and think about. I've got some opportunities to craft a story of my life and how my life intertwines with the lives of others. And so what story do I want to tell? Do I want the story to be a story that anytime a need came my way, I had an opportunity to bless those who were in the midst of adversity, in the midst of pain, in the midst of chaos. I was that person who laid down my life for others. And this is a story that we don't broadcast from the the mountaintops. This is a story that we don't write about and sell a book on. This is just simply a story that we know in our hearts we can tell that is true of ourselves. It's a story that the people closest to us will know. So what story do I want my kids to know that is true of me? What story do I want my kids to know is true of me? Am I the person that when, when it needs come my way, I, I, I kind of filter them through the lens of what's convenient right now? Or, or am I the person who says, you know what, I will be inconvenienced because the call to lay down your life is an inconvenient call. 
Like dying, dying is rather inconvenient. In fact, if you have meetings scheduled next week, I guarantee you that dying would put a hint on your ability to make those meetings. Dying is inconvenient. We know that. But what story do I want to be a part of? And here's what I know about you. And here's what I know about me. We want to be a part of these types of stories where we'd be so willing to lay down our lives for the brothers that people's lives. People we love the most right now who are experiencing adversity, who are experiencing pain, that their stories would be forever altered because of what we were willing to put on the table. On the and so whether it's financial or physical or relational or, physical or spiritual, I, I just encourage you to make the sacrifice that God is placing on your heart to make for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it's what Christ would do for us. When life goes wrong, God gives us each other. Let's pray. Father, you are so good, and we are so glad that you love us. Thank you for the ultimate example of what love looks like. Fortify and strengthen our hearts so that we would be willing to be people who sacrifice greatly for those that call on your name. Let this be a place that is known for how we love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.